Having power over God's enemies. I believe this is part six because we have, yeah. yeah, part six. You've done how many sermons on this now? No, dude, I don't know. You don't know? So oh, man. That's that's fine. You don't have to keep count. So today we're talking about the sword and praying in the spirit. Yeah. Which kind of the same thing in a way cuz if you're if you're praying in the spirit, then you could actually be praying in a manner that is to uh battle against the enemies of God, really, right? Yeah, so it's Through, the, in the, the word. So the sword of the spirit is the word of God, and he's saying pray in the spirit with the sword of the spirit, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. But overall, it is a kind of a confusing topic. I mean, it seems like sure. the two of them are the same, but they're not the same, but then they're related. So so let's just jump right into it. So you went to, uh, my, my very first note here was James 4. Mm-hmm. And that was that is where James tells us to uh, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Mm-hmm. And uh, how how do we resist the devil, like in this capacity? And when we're talking about the sword and praying in the spirit, because we could say we resist the devil what by um, I don't know, not stealing or breaking the law, or, <laughs> you know, like those kid things, you know. Yeah, but what yeah. we're really talking about we're talking about the word of God and praying in the spirit. Where does this come into play here? Yeah, so if we go back to, I think, seeing uh, some of the the major ways that the devil uh, interacts with us would be temptation and accusation, Uh, you know, and then the idea, of course, that he uses words and strongholds, uh, you know, ideas that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. So uh, when we're resisting the devil, there's probably a dynamic that's happening in your inner world, you know, of your of your soul, of your thought life. And uh, also then it's going to be, you know, kind of in the outer world where you see the lies, you see the things that would want to keep people from seeing Jesus. And so this is really the devil's scheme here, is it not? Where he makes us think that resisting him has to do with doing good things, acting like we're a good person, pretending we're not a sinner. And in reality, the way that we resist him is through fighting off those uh, accusations and accusatory uh, thoughts, Mm -hmm. really, that come into our minds. You talked actually a bit about that, uh, that not all our thoughts are our own. Yeah, so, you know, some are some some from God, some from the enemy, and some are ourselves. Uh, mo- most from us, really, though, right? I mean, most of our thoughts are our own, right? I mean, I I would assume so. Yes, yeah, since it is well, your no, no brain, I would assume, Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, our you know the our our inner world, you know, which is our thoughts, our motivations, our emotions. It's a very complex, you know. Uh, thing because it's created by God, right? It's uh, He breathed into us and we became life. Um, you know, we be, uh, basically, you know, we became alive, you know, in our spirits and it created our souls, right? So God took our bodies, breathed into it, and gave us life. So it's very complex in there. And, yeah. um, but certainly we understand that, uh, you know, that uh, because the powers of principalities are spiritual, then they're acting in spiritual ways, which mean words 
you know, and largely uh, access to that uh, part of our inner world. Yeah, and this is really important that we have an understanding of this because you talked about uh, discipline to understand what is uh, from us, from God, and uh, from the devil, from the enemy. Mm-hmm. And that that includes, though, like we're talking, you were talking specifically about thoughts, but also includes our feelings. Like, yeah, and, for sure. Because feelings aren't always just a thought that we have. I mean, sometimes we we can just feel guilty, or we just feel lost, or we feel uh, unworthy, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. while we, as ourselves, are unworthy, we have to keep in mind that Christ is the one who has made us worthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, a feeling of unworthiness doesn't really match who we are as uh, God's people, does it? Yeah, I mean, that's a great example. I mean, also, too, like temptation, you're probably going to feel like you want to do the wrong thing, you know, because it's going to feel like the right thing at the time. Uh, So, yeah, certainly that's something you have to really be aware of. Yeah, for sure. A a great quote from one of my favorite books in the Foundation series is, never let your sense of morals keep you from doing what is right. Oh. And I'm like, I was like, that's really interesting. interesting. You know? So, yeah, just, you were literally, you literally just said that. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Uh, I love that book, you know? Uh, So when we talk about, uh, you know, we were talking about the, the sword, which this was really interesting. Uh, because the sword is the word, mm-hmm. and the word is Jesus, or Jesus is the word. Mm-hmm. As it says in John uh, in the beginning, uh, you know, uh, was the word, and the word mm-hmm. was with God, all that, and mm-hmm. the word became flesh and all that. So it's it's a really strange concept that the, the word is Christ, and we... <sighs> Where does this come in? I mean, we have the word. The word is in us. Jesus is in it. Like it all seems so strange when you try to put it all together. Because when we talk about the word as the sword, it's like this weapon, and so we're wielding Jesus. Yeah, is that essentially what's going on? Yeah. So you know, uh, this is really was a highlight for me. Where you know we tend to think of the sword of the spirit as the written word of God, which it is, because uh, the Bible is the Word of God is the written Word of God. We also know the Bible tells us that Jesus is also the Word of God. And that would mean, you know, we embody Jesus. I mean, we are a walking, talking temple, you know, of Jesus, you know, of the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, our oneness with Christ also means that we are bringing, you know, uh, Jesus to bear on situations in which we find ourselves. So, so yeah, I mean, that's essentially... Uh, what, you know, part of like what it, why I think Paul highlights the praying in the spirit is so he under, you basically understand the mind of Jesus, the mind of God in whatever situation you might find yourself in and needing to put that um, or, you know, you know, whatever it is that God gives you uh, into that situation. So, uh, yeah, you know, when Paul other places says, well, no, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? He's basically saying the same thing. He's, you know, he's basically saying, uh, you know, you're doing uh, whatever it is you're doing on behalf of Jesus, you know? So, um, yeah. So, and there's, you know, there usually is a power there. You know, a lot of times when, 
you know, you're maybe really struggling with somebody who hurts you or something like that, right? And you're really tempted to be bitter. You're really tempted to uh, maybe uh, exact revenge or something like that, you know? And then just in the midst of all of that struggle, you something just pops into your brain that you need to forgive. You need to pray to forgive and you pray to forgive and, uh, you know, all that sort of power that and emotion and like motivation there for revenge or for bitterness just kind of, uh, begins to like drain away. You know, that's certainly, that certainly wouldn't only just be, um, the written word, reminding ourselves of the written word of God that we need to forgive because Christ has forgiven us. Although that is, enough power, I would assume, but it's that word combined with, uh, the spirit of Jesus inside of you, you know, draining the whole, uh, whole situation of its, of its power for evil. You're talking about praying for forgiveness in the context of you needing to forgive somebody else. And so I don't think I've ever heard that before. I've never, I've never heard that, like that idea, that concept. I've only heard that like, oh, you should pray to God for forgiveness for yourself, that he would forgive you mm. of what you do wrong. Mm-hmm. So I guess now, you know, it's got me, you know, and that's not something I've like leaned on in my Christian life either. This is just something that you reminded me of. Is that really technically incorrect to pray for our forgiveness when we sit here and we say that we have accepted Christ? Uh, sacrifice, and really we're in the position where we need to be uh, uh, thankful and just thankful for what God has already done for us. Like, we know that we are forgiven. Is there a need to ask for it now in prayer? I know hmm. it's kind of like a side shoot here. But... Yeah, yeah. So you're saying basically, like, is it, uh, do we need to really ask for forgiveness knowing that it's sort of promised? Yeah. Um, and is it, and, that's a really good question. I don't think it's wrong necessarily, but I think you are putting, you know, maybe putting your finger on a something that is kind of key where it really is not so much where you need to ask for the forgiveness. It's the more that you would just need to confess your sin. Uh, confess right? and it. Then, and then you have the, you know, you can then know that you have the forgiveness. Now, we certainly are forgiven of all past, present, and future sins. So it is more, I think, important just to confess your sins uh, and then really lean into the promise of forgiveness from there. Yeah, and that's what I was just like kind of thinking. So, you know, if we if we're you know, we confess our sins and then from there we can take that moment to recognize and uh, glorify God and the fact that he's already paid for that, recognizing that uh, our sin required his death and mm-hmm. resurrection to be paid for. That sounds a lot more, uh, you know, glorifying than I guess trying to ask God for something He's already given you. Yeah, you yeah, know? sure, so, yeah. And it might just be the spirit of it too. I mean, I know when I, when I like mess up and sin against my wife or my kids, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll ask, you know, would you forgive me? You know, that kind of thing. Now, of course, now that is like, and that might be a little bit different because they might not want to forgive me. Um, and I wouldn't just say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry that I like spoke to you like really sternly or something like there when that was inappropriate. Um, but so, yeah, so I don't think you have to really worry about it, but I think you are putting your finger on something that is true. Like, like, yeah, you don't have to ask for something that you have. 
yeah. you really need to disappropriate it into your life. A little, yeah. that, that's a bonus, bonus there in the episode so, here. Yeah, there we go. Uh, a little so, Holy Spirit moment for you there, maybe. Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely yeah. was, definitely was, yeah, was you great. know. Uh, I think that's something that I, I'm going to, you know, be putting down in the journal, you know, to work on praying for, you know, my, my, for me to forgive other people, you know. Maybe mm-hmm. that's something that's going to help me to let go of some things and, and move mm-hmm. on, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's really good, man. Yeah, that's man. helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, so. we definitely need the power of the spirit to help us do that because it's, it's tough. Oh, no doubt, mm-hmm. no doubt. I mean, yeah, I won't go into any details there. Uh, <laughs> so we got, you know, uh, in all of this, we've got uh, Satan's use to, or Satan's use of scripture to try, and he tries to deceive of all of all the beings he tries to mm-hmm. deceive Jesus yeah. uh as like is he stupid and he doesn't know who Jesus is i mean come on like he couldn't have possibly thought that would work right when when Jesus is out <laughs> in the wilderness i mean it's it's his word that's right and he's trying yeah. to use it to deceive the one who wrote it that's crazy yeah. isn't it yeah well that's a great question um i you know i did i've thought that too um and i and I think it is, it is again, really easy for us to think of Jesus as uh, he's God in the flesh. And so he really does all that he does because he's God in the flesh. And it's really actually not the case. Um, not that he's not God. It's just that his whole godness is completely set aside. And so Jesus is a man full of the Holy Spirit. And so... He doesn't, uh, he has to be fully tempted just as we are. Okay. And so um, he couldn't necessarily rely on his godness to, uh, you know, to resist that temptation. And so I think in the sense that, uh, you know, that didn't even come into it. Um, So I think actually Jesus potentially did have, I mean, I think potentially he could have. Uh, certainly sinned um, if, uh, you know, because he set aside his godness, you know, and that's why it's it's so important that he didn't, right? So because it gets transferred to us as well. So, so you're saying it would have been, it's it, it would have been possible at that time for Jesus to sin. Yeah, absolutely. And so he had to fully resist that just as you and I do. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Otherwise, he, it wouldn't make sense. Yes, because his his godness and the you know because it's impossible for God to sin, but it's not impossible for Jesus to sin in the flesh because he sets aside all the privileges and power of his godness. Um, you know, uh, in becoming a human being, that's what the incarnation means. You know, it, he's uh, uh, now he doesn't set aside his identity as the second person of the trinity there but all of the privileges and power of it certainly he sets aside which is why that army of angels never showed up to stop the crucifixion well (laughs) well and actually in all reality like yeah it seems as if he could if he i mean as he says it he could have asked and he didn't and he didn't and what's interesting about all this is when you look at that whole passage uh, you see that Jesus has been given all authority uh, by God um, before uh, hi, uh, before the 
the Last Supper. Uh, you know, he's you know, Jesus has been given that authority, and then so, and that's a really important point that's made there in John thirteen, John twelve and thirteen, is he's been given all authority by God. What's he do? He first washes his disciples' feet. <laughs> so, which is like an incredible, incredible thing. So he, and you know, because before that, you see, uh, like Jesus. Uh, you know, walks into this place and and uh, he says, "Glorify your name." And the father, and you know, the father speaks again from heaven and says, "I have glorified it." And the place kind of shook, you know. So it, it shows. So Jesus knows that all authority has been given to him, um, and so he can do whatever he wants at this point. Um, and so he, uh, uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't uh, ask for those angels to take him down. So his first, like, um, now when when were you saying he is given all authority at that point? Is it right before the Last Supper? Is well, that's early? when you, that's when you read about it. I mean, okay. at, at what point he got it? You Not, know, okay. right? Yeah. But the first yeah. thing we read about yeah. him doing after this occurs is he decides to be. Uh, a servant. servant. Yeah, exactly. And to his disciples. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. Imagine like me being given all authority on, um, you know, over America or something. And my first, you know, my first act was like to go mow your lawn or something. You know, it's just like, <laughs> what? That, that doesn't make any sense, right? You know, it's just like, right. that's not how this, but that's what, you know, Jesus is powerfully demonstrating. Yeah. And so, in all of that, I mean, I, I'm just like just popping into my head. This is a great demonstration of leadership. Mm-hmm. As 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 a leader, then we are actually called to serve those we are leading. Because those those twelve disciples are those are his twelve disciples. They're they're the ones he's leading. They are following him wherever he goes, whatever he teaches. They are following and they are listening. Mm-hmm. And. As a, as their leader, he chooses to serve them, mm-hmm. and so I man, that's you know I've I've never read that in any leadership book. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think yeah. I've ever read that in any leadership book. And Jesus makes this perfect example. You know, yeah. I'm sure it's yeah. out there. I haven't read every sure, leadership yeah, book yeah, out yeah. there. Right, I'm right. not trying You're to not, say that. Yeah, I've probably read about like yes. seven though. I've read quite a few. Yeah. So what does it actually does go to show you? And, and it, this is really a great spiritual warfare topic right like what the devil what you know what mm-hmm. the devil tempts jesus to say is like here's all the kingdoms right like now right. he's eventually going to get it but jesus uh has to go through the suffering to get it and um you know and but satan promises it right and so he you know satan wants to use glory pride exaltation you know that not through suffering not through servanthood because really that is kind of the the enticement there because like you said, Jesus knows he's already promised all of it, but the enticement is you don't have to do any of this. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to pay any price. All you have to do is worship me. Mm -hmm. And that is that is the, a really huge temptation for that a lot of us experience in some way, shape, or form, where we have this option where we can go through the right channels and obtain that what which we want through suffering, essentially. You know, nothing compared mm-hmm. to the crucifixion, sure, but 
we get another option, which is, you know, in its most basic form, it could be to steal or it could be to uh, lie or it could be to, uh, you know, basically trample all over somebody else who may have earned the spot that you're taking, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's essentially Jesus has the ultimate form of this Mm -hmm. that he goes through in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yep, it's a, there's so many layers to it, right? For sure. Um, not only personally for him, but he's also acting out, you know, sort of, you know, what Israel was supposed to do and be in the desert. Uh, they, you know, he's fulfilling what they were to do and be, you know, and, yeah. and you know, so it's it's wild. It's awesome. Yeah. And he does all this. Uh, well, let's see. At some point, what happens? He's like whisk. He's like whisk, whisk away. Like, like what? What happens at the end there? Doesn't he? Uh, the angels are ministering to him at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah. In the wilderness. Yeah, the, what the, what yeah, happens the angels there? Come, come and basically probably feed him. Yeah, like you okay. said, essentially like probably Elijah there. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. yeah. He gets like some some bread and water from a stream, and eagles deliver it, and angels come and talk yeah, to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows how? Who knows how it all came? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 I'm sure it was something just like Elijah, you know, because that's what we were talking about last episode, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Uh, So in all this, I mean, he's, uh, you know, I guess, well, because he does, he goes through the baptism with, uh, by John Mm -hmm. and not that it was needed, but we do see it demonstrated. The Holy Spirit descend upon him in bodily form like a dove. And so we do know for a fact that he is, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. during his entire ministry, uh, at the very least. And so let's talk about that. I mean, you know, we're, we're already talking about kind of that Garden of Gethsemane. You know, here we go with the word pronunciations again. The 26 ACT guy can Dude, correct me that. here. Yeah, yeah, did I have that yeah, one yeah, there? Yeah. You got it. <laughs> so, um, so he is praying in the Spirit there in the Garden. And in the Garden, he's saying... Um, not my will, but your will be done. And so that that's that's like an important part. I mean, that's that's a that's a part of a you know the Lord's prayer that He teaches His disciples. Mm-hmm. You know, and so how does this reflect? Like when we talk about praying in the Spirit, like where are we really going going with it? How how is it done? And mm-hmm. how do we know that we're doing it right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is a this is a hard question because it's something that certainly I think about a lot, and there's no way that I've certainly figured it all out. But I've always felt like, first off, a prayer in the spirit means really a prayer of dependence, really where you're in a place where you actually need the resources of the spirit to understand. Uh, maybe what it is that needs to be done, or you need the strength uh, in order uh, to accomplish it. Uh, and so it's really a, you know, uh, basically it's kind of going back to what Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing, you know? And so, so you know, this week I highlighted too where, you know, a lot of times our prayer are so, you know, so weak because we're really not praying very much about things that are very real. Uh, right, because we're not really in any situations where we need the strength of the spirit. We're not really in a lot of situations where we need the mind of God. We you know, so uh, you know that kind of thing. So um, certainly, in a situation where you need the Word of God to be in a place um, 
to separate, you know, or to like cut down strongholds or whatever, you're going to need, you're going to find yourself quickly in the spirit or or needing the whole, uh, a place of dependence, right? Are you going to go up against somebody who, you know, um, you know, believes that, you know, the idea of hell means that God can't love, God doesn't really love people. You know, if there is a hell, it means God doesn't love, you know, that's a stronghold. You know, there's any number of different strongholds, right, that uh, a believer is going to have to kind of come up against. And so uh, that's why it's important that we really have uh, prayer, that that prayer dependence. Um, I think also, you know, the prayer and the spirit too has a lot to do with asking God questions and then really watching and waiting for answers. Uh, and I think that's really, really important. I think that's a really important part of prayer is to not just have your prayer speeches to God, but really to be asking questions. Hey, like, Hey Lord, what, what do I need to do here? What's your will here, uh, in whatever this situation is that needs the word of God, whether that needs the, um, the written word of God and, or the, just you embodying Christ, the spirit of Christ in that situation. So, yeah. So. And you went into Romans eight in regarding this and, uh, your sermon. And that is also where, uh, talk, Paul talks about the spirit interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, that's always been like, I guess one of my like favorite things about Romans was just like that that line right there, because the way it was always explained to me was that uh, when we don't even know what we're supposed to be praying for, the Holy Spirit kind of takes care of that for us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so is is this to say like it's really it's when you really trying to get into prayer like it's okay to feel lost. Yes, and I actually think that Romans 8 is incredibly important because you, the groaning probably you feel when you're perplexed, lost, I don't know how to answer this, I don't know what to do. Uh, not only is that you being perplexed there, it's also the sp- you groaning, right? But also the spirit groaning. And just the situation, even the fact that you're in the situation at all, right, like is a groan for a lot of, us, you know, as believers, right? This like, you know, a lot of times, a lot of us are like, man, why can't this person just see how much Jesus loves them and how much he's done for them? You know, you're like, oh, you know, like, and you know, they're for whatever reason, like, you know, maybe they say like, I just can't believe that, you know, uh, because of all the terrible things that are happening in the world that, you know, God, um, could be who he says he is, you know, and I'll, you know, whatever that you, you just, when you hear that and you just, you groan, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's absolutely a huge part of, uh, what it means for you to suffer uh, on the behalf of, you know, so, so Jesus suffers on our behalf, uh, in order for, to get us to God. Now Jesus suffers, um, in us and we suffer with him, uh, uh, for those folks in our lives who we're praying and groaning for. You know, I, I feel like it's totally backwards sometimes, like when we have that, uh, whether it be somebody else or, you know, I'm sure, you know, even ourselves ends up there sometimes where we're like, why why would you allow this, God, you know? And, and it's crazy because when you look at the world and the way people are and you say, how could God allow this? 
why would God allow this? He can't possibly be God. But then when you actually look at it the correct way, and that is when you look at this is how people are. This is what they do. This is our depravity. And yet he paid the price. Mm -hmm. For what reason would he pay that price? Because I don't possess that. I'm telling you, I don't possess that level of love. Okay. None of us do. Only he does. Yeah. I cannot honestly say that I could possibly look at all the sin in the world and say, yeah, I would definitely go to the cross for these people. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. I can't say that I would, Mm -hmm. but I'm also not God. So lucky us. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so it's really, you can look at it from both perspectives and see where it's absolutely unbelievable. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the character of God is not anything like what we could possibly fathom within our depravity. Yeah, that's right. You know, go Calvinism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, right. so yeah, Ro- Romans eight, great chapter. I actually seen a joke one time. Uh, I think it was Romans eight. Yeah, it was Romans eight. It was, uh, the Arminian Bible. And Romans 8 was completely blacked out. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah no funny. no offense to our... our, our yeah, well, our I'm, I'm starting uh, a sermon series on Romans 8, going through Romans 8. I actually just read a book on it, um, just Romans 8, which really was kind of why what book I was wanted it. It's called um, The Heart of Romans by N.T. Wright. Okay. And uh, it really helped me a lot because Romans 8 um, has so many, like, great verses, you know, Romans 8, 28, Romans 8, 31, you know, who shall separate us, all that. That's like, like, but really by and large, I've actually found that ver that chapter be to be, especially the first half to be incredibly confusing um, because he's talking about the spirit and um, I just have never been able to really work it out very well. And, uh, and so um, but it's so important. And now I feel like because of this book, I've gotten a good idea of what more is happening there. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm excited about that. I might have to check that book out. Yeah, know. it just came out. So it literally, just, oh, really? Yeah, literally just it came out last week. So you got it like the moment it came off of the printing press mm-hmm. and, and just like, yes, read exactly. it right up. I did. Well, I listened to it. I didn't read it, you know, whatever. <sighs> Whatever. Man, so. I, I was about to ask. I was like, oh, do you read a lot, Dave? <laughs> 26 ACT, listening to books. Yeah, my that's goodness. Exactly. <laughs> that's because exactly. you're smart, right? <laughs> no, that's, that is one. Listening to books is the way to go, man. Yeah, dude. That's, I, that's exactly You can do it while you're driving. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's one thing I always wanted to be able to do. I was like, man, I wish I could read while I was driving because I feel like this is a wasted time. Now, literally... Yeah. You can read while you drive. Exactly. It's amazing. And so. you put it on 2X and then just like... I can't do 2X. So. 1.5 is... Unless they're a slow reader. Yeah, yeah. But do 2X, way go. You'll get there. You'll get there. Maybe. Yeah. I only got... Like, Keep I, going. I didn't get the no, 26. I'm going right. <laughs> <laughs> right, to leave the 26 thing alone now. I just had to get That's a couple so more great. in there. Uh, you'd, uh, you did talk about... I figure, you know, why not? You did mention speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And so we might as well just... Uh, talk through that real quick. You <laughs> sure, real described quick. it as edifying themselves yep. and not a bad thing. 
That's what my notes say. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. Yep. But it's also not something that uh, you necessarily run around doing in the middle of the congregation. You know, like when you're up there preaching, if I start screaming out, speaking in tongues, you're not going to appreciate that, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, that's a. It's a really because you, when you talk about praying in the spirit, a lot of people um, are going to ask, "Is does that mean speaking in tongues?" Especially if you kind of. We're in a tradition like a Pentecostal tradition, you know, where they'll will they'll say speaking in tongues is almost synonymous with praying in the spirit. And yeah. So, um, so my view, you know, of speaking in tongues is, you know, basically uh, as Paul talks about it in First Corinthians uh, fourteen, particularly, right? That that it seems that he speaks in tongues, um, but he doesn't really see it as anything more than um, helping yourself and unless there is an interpreter, right? So mm-hmm. the gift is given by the Spirit largely to be shared in a congregation setting where an interpreter is uh, present. And if it's not, Paul just says you should, you know, just pray or speak to yourself. And he says he who speaks in tongue edifies himself because you know, and I can imagine, I don't speak in tongues, but I can imagine that if you are having utterance of a language or a, you know, some sort of utterance that you don't understand, but really isn't coming from your mind, um, you know, I can imagine that isn't like, it, it can be pretty encouraging because it feels uh, very supernatural. And it's, and I, uh, and I, I guess it would be supernatural in a sense. So, um, but, uh, so yeah, but that's why he says that that edifies yourself. If that's all you're doing, just speak to yourself and God. Um, don't, you know, don't, uh, say it out loud if there's not an interpreter, uh, which is really where the gift kicks in. And, uh, so, but that wouldn't be, uh, what I would think Paul is saying, but praying in the spirit. And then just, man, I got one last thing here for you, which was, uh, you were talking about this praying in the spirit and what Lord, uh, Lord, what is your will for me? And he will make it known to you. Mm-hmm. Like that is, uh, that's really powerful. And you're sure of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I think, um, so usually, so when I really think about when I ask God, Lord, what is your will for me? I am almost always thinking about um, some sort of combination of uh, my ambition, particularly in my career, right? So I a lot of times I'm really asking, what are the outcomes, Lord, mm-hmm. that I uh, that you know that I don't? Could you show those to me? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I've rarely got many outcomes from God uh, when I'm asking for his will. Um but uh, a lot of times uh, we really need to pray um, to understand God's will because it's not necessarily that it's not obvious. It's just that it's it's we don't like it. We're we're really in a place where it's not pleasing yet. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So um, you know, if you're married, like you know, it's pretty well known that, uh, you know, it is God's will for husbands to have to really sacrifice a lot for their wives. 
um, particularly things that they wouldn't want to sacrifice and things that they probably would be tempted to be like, um, well, I don't want to give that up because, you know, that was kind of giving, maybe me giving into her weakness. Well, uh, you know, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loves the church, right? Mm-hmm. So what did he do for the church? He laid his life down. So you might have to like lay some things down because your wife is, has some weaknesses in certain areas, right? Now, do a lot of husbands want to do that? No, we don't. It's, but it is one of those things that, uh, you know, basically once we, you know, do those things, right, we really probably see a lot of the life of God, uh, restorative in our marriage, probably and the, just the opposite too, you know, if a wife think, I don't want to submit to this bonehead, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to respect this guy who's got this fall, this fall, this fall, this fall. I don't, you know, um, you know, but that is, you know, obviously. So when you sometimes pray for the will of the Lord, a lot of it is actually just for it to not not necessarily because you just don't know it, but that is true. A lot of times we just don't know it, but it's not good pleasing. It's not the good pleasing and perfect will to us, right? So we need our mind transformed. Uh, that Romans twelve two says, you know, so. Um, but a lot of times, yeah, when we're asking, what is your will? We're sometimes asking, or a lot of times we're asking for outcomes, right? You know, uh, and I think a lot of times we're asking maybe, um, when we ask, um, you know, (laughs) we are, uh, not even actually paying attention to what's going on around us after we ask, you know, but it's like when you, and that's why I talked about in this sermon, like, what are the real things? that are happening around you, right? What are the real things? So if you're really frustrated with your boss and you really think your boss is like super dumb or something like that, I don't know. I'm just messing. messing. This is, you know, uh, I'm my own boss. So I think that a lot. So, so, (laughs) but if, if you think that you need to ask Lord, what is the will in this situation? Is the, you know, right now you're probably grumbling, you're probably complaining, you might even be gossiping, you might even be tearing them down possibly to somebody else. Is that the will of the Lord in this situation? No, probably not, right? What is the will of the Lord in this situation? And then that's, and that's a real thing, right? But again, it's one of those things where uh, that's, those are, those are hard questions to ask a lot of times, right? So, um, yeah, when it comes to my kids, what is the will, you know, what is the will of the Lord here, you know? I think the more specific you can get, the better, the more real things, the better, right? Um, you know, it's like one thing to ask, you know, what's the will of the Lord for me as a dad? Well, it's like, okay, that that's a pretty big, can you like land the plane a little bit more and be like, yeah. Know, okay, so for the next month, you know, my kids got this going on, this going on, this going on. What's the will of the what? What would be the will of the Lord here? You know, or something like that, right? Like it helps a little bit more to. Um, most of us can tend to be like, "Who am I going to marry? Do am I going to get the job that's going to give me a lot of status and money? Lord, would you tell me if that's so? You know, that kind of thing. So, very, it becomes yeah. very vague and yeah. not specific, and so then you've got really a, a whole set of things that could be coming at you, whether it be from God, the enemy or yourself, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I like that focusing in being more specific, mm-hmm. you know, that that's really helpful. 
Yeah. It's really helpful for me anyways. I hope it's helpful for the people listening too. Yeah. You know, it's like if you you know, if you're like and I think one of the things too is like you can ask God and if you like, should I change jobs or something like that? You know, what's the will of the Lord? And and you don't get anything after a probably an appropriate period of time of asking and kind of watching and listening. I mean, you can probably feel incredibly confident that you can just go ahead and do whatever it is that you feel is best, right? Like uh, you know, unless you're like, you know, you're in IT, you know, and it should be like, I'm going to go join the circus and be a clown in the circus. You're like, well, what does I rethink that one? But, you know, over hopes and dreams. <laughs> exactly. But <sighs> you might, uh, right. I want to maybe go get more money with this IT job with this company. Yes. Okay. You can feel perfectly free to do what it is you feel like is best there all right so dave said chase money got it no i'm just, oh, I'm just kidding yes no I, I am saying that i am saying that completely you should try to make more money go make more money get off your if you're not especially if you're not working at all you should go to work especially if you're a tither no i'm just <laughs> i'm joking i'm totally getting we, in trouble we, there we, on that we one. really yeah. need you to go and get a second and third job yeah no. exactly could you have like at least three or four side hustles that actually make money please that's actually a crazy thing that I mean, like I'm witnessing right now is not like the second and third job thing. I mean, this kind of just popped into my head, but like the being dedicated to your work thing, there is, there is nothing wrong with going into work at the time that you're supposed to be in and working your butt off until it's time for you to leave. Mm-hmm. But there is absolutely no reason whatsoever for people to be staying an extra three, four, five hours at work and sacrificing time with their families, sacrificing time raising their kids, sacrificing time with their husbands or wives to chase after a career. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's something that our society has really embraced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before, like, I, like to me, I just know it was like so weird. When I was younger, I'd be like, how are these people making it 30, 40 years in marriage and then getting a divorce? What is happening? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because one of them finally woke up and they were like, my spouse is always at work. Mm -hmm. Why am I still here? Mm -hmm. And and then they they leave Mm -hmm. because they don't see any reason to be there anymore. And worshiping your job is not a good answer Mm -hmm. under any circumstances. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah, it's hard. It's really, really, really difficult, for sure. Um, and that actually might be the thing that where you have to trust God, right? Where you might be in a situation with your job where you're like, if I just did the nine to five, if I did the contract, the contractual obligation, and nothing else, you might be really afraid you won't get promoted, you won't get, you know, um, you know, and you just, but you know that if you do it like everybody else does, you won't have family time, and so. And that's really a great point of prayer, uh, ultimately, is just to, to to commit that to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, like, um, nobody else in the company is doing just the, was the contractual obligation, but I, 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 I got my family, I got, you know, and, you know, and I'm just going to have to maybe face their judgment or whatever, but. And so you can ask God to, you know, maybe really bless your work during contractual hours. So everybody's like, wow, this guy is awesome or, or this gal is awesome. So it's I mean, true. Yep. Praise God. I mean, I praise God. I literally, I do the contractual hours at my work and 
I, I honestly feel like sometimes I'm going like, what are you guys doing the whole time after I leave? <laughs> like, I feel like I do so much more during the day than like most other people there. And then other people are there for another two, three, four hours. Sometimes they were there before me even. Yeah. And I'm like, so what were you doing the whole time? <laughs> what do you like, say you do here? You know? And I'm like, come on, man. You know, I've, I've had people... You know, tell me like, oh, I just I have too much to do, and I'm like, in your position, <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, I don't ask them. I'm just like, oh yeah, I know how that is, but oh, I really yeah, want to be yeah, like, right. be like, really, uh, I kind of feel like if like you what? didn't show up tomorrow, like the place would still operate <laughs> just fine. I mean, me too. Like, if I don't show up tomorrow, yeah. the place operates just fine. That's and hilarious. It kind of it just weirds me out. I'm like, do you do you think your work's that important? Like, man, do your do your seven to three and. Go home, spend yeah, time yeah. with your kids, you know? Yes. Uh, there was a, I, I remember, we've gone way off subject now. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, but there was a, a guy who, I think he sold his company and he was being interviewed and they were like, so what are you going to do now? Like, you sold your company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And he was like, oh, I'm going to spend my time with my family. And and like one of his kids like leaned forward and they were like, we don't know you. <laughs> We don't we don't want to spend any time with you. And it was like super embarrassing yeah, for him in this gosh, interview, you know. Sailed, huh? And I was like, man, I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be that guy, you know. Chasing money, not my thing. <laughs> yeah.